Wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes, 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 yes. For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! What a weekend it was in Nashville for WWE SummerSlam weekend. Myself and Mr. Marceau in attendance for all the festivities in the Music City. But we're back here on WrestleRant Radio for Thursday, August 4th, 2022. I am Graham Jason Matthews. Hope you guys are doing well and having a great week so far. Uh, another packed edition of WrestleRant Radio here today. The last time we were here on the show was five days ago, on a Saturday, no less. Hours before SummerSlam, breaking down the show, previewing, you know, predicting the show in our hotel room before we attended the event later that night in Nissan Stadium, which was a great time. So we're going to be talking all about SummerSlam or on-site report from the show in Nashville on Saturday here on the show momentarily. Before then, another exclusive interview. Last week was Liv Morgan. The week before that was Goldberg. The week before that was The Undertaker. Another preview of an upcoming WWE A and or it's not upcoming anymore. It aired last week, but the most recent A and E documentary on the episode of a WWE Legends biography on Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle joining us for the very first time on WrestleRant Radio this week to talk all about the documentary, Vince McMahon's retirement, Triple H and Stephanie taking over WWE creatively, uh, wanting to manage Chad Gable on WWE TV, and a lot more. Got to give a shout-out to the Solomonster, who I always praise and talk about here on the show, uh, one of my favorite wrestling podcasts, and just a great dude in general. I reached out to him before I talked to Kurt last week, for some quick pointers, any questions he thought would be good to ask. He gave me three of them, all of which I did ask Kurt, gave Jason credit for, and uh, he did answer. So you're going to hear those on the show momentarily. New episodes of WrestleRant Radio. I say every single Thursday. This show was almost on Friday this week because RG almost had a work conflict, but uh, we were able to do it today instead, coming off of SummerSlam last weekend. Very, 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 very rarely do we do the show on any other day but Thursdays. We've been doing it Thursdays every week for like fucking six years now. I don't foresee that changing anytime soon. But we still have more interviews to come here on the show in the weeks to come. I actually just talked to Lex Luger, previewing his upcoming any biography uh, coming up on Sunday. Um, that interview should be dropping either tomorrow, Saturday, Sunday on fansideddddt.com in article form and in audio form over on my YouTube channel. Uh, speaking of the YouTube channel, all my interviews from SummerSlam weekend will be up at some point. I'll probably drop my interview with uh, Paul Heyman at some point here on the show. When that will be, I don't know. But his quotes from that interview talking all about WWE's new recruitment program um, and whatnot, the tryouts that we did attend in Nashville last week, that's going to be up on the uh, YouTube channel at some point. It's available in article form right now, some of the highlights of our conversation over on Bleacher Report. That went live yesterday, doing a deep dive on the WWE recruitment program and some very interesting insight from the people that make it happen and the people that were hired at the tryout last week. So, uh, very cool stuff there. A lot to look forward to, a lot for me to do. There's still so much I have to catch up on, but uh, all good stuff. No complaints on my end. So, with that being said, or like I said, what I was going to say previously was that WrestleRant Radio, new episodes, pretty much every single Thursday. We never miss a week. 
That's for sure. Sometimes it's on a different day, usually every single Thursday on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Podbean, Google Podcast. We're on Amazon Music, Pandora. Rate the show, review the show, subscribe to the show, and never miss an episode every single Thursday if not on the occasional Saturday, if we're in the city of the pay-per-view. Um, you can also find me on Twitter at WrestleRant and on YouTube as well, and on Facebook, Graham G.S. Matthews, on YouTube at youtube.com backslash WrestleRant for all new exclusive content pretty much every day. I haven't been uploading as consistently lately, and oftentimes late at night because I have been very busy. But there's a lot of content nonetheless. So if you like what you hear here on the show, you can check out a lot of these interviews in video form over on my YouTube channel. With that being said, guys, enjoy my exclusive interview with WWE Hall of Famer, Olympic gold medalist, and one of the greatest professional wrestlers of all time, Kurt Angle. All right, what's going on, guys? Graham G.S. and Matthews here with BleachReport.com. And ahead of this Sunday's A&E Biography WWE Legend Special, we're talking to the subject himself, WWE Hall of Famer, multi-time world champion, one of the best wrestlers around, Kurt Angle. Kurt, what's going on, man? Oh, nothing much, man. Just getting ready for this documentary to come out on Sunday. I'm really excited about it. I'm excited for it, too, and it's cool. You're coming off the Bella Twins. We had The Undertaker. We talked to Goldberg a couple weeks ago, and I told the same thing to Goldberg a few weeks ago, but it's cool that you're one of the subjects of this you know, this show coming up, and we had the first season last year. There really hasn't been, and I could be wrong, there really haven't been a ton of documentaries on you over the years. Like We had that 24 special a few years ago on the network, which was great, right. coming off your comeback, fantastic. Beyond that, though, there really hasn't been a ton of Kurt Angle documentaries. So just talk a little bit about what we can expect, and as far as how it kind of differs from other documentaries that have been done on you over the years. Well, I really hit on uh, a lot of things that I had to overcome. Uh, it's the documentary is about overcoming mm-hmm. obstacles, uh, overcoming my addiction, my injuries that I had, my sport, uh, death of close family members. Uh, it's really about redemption and uh, turning my life around and being a good husband, father, and role model. That's awesome. And I mean, we've heard a lot about that from you over the years. And you talk about it in your podcast and stuff like that. Talk about the last couple of years for you. You've been retired from the ring since 35. I was there in New York for the final match. It was a great send off for you. We've seen you made a couple of appearances over the years, but how have you been doing lately? I know you had surgery recently. Yes, I had knee surgery, double knee replacements. Mm-hmm. And I uh, did it about two months ago. Uh, I will tell you this for the first three weeks, I regretted it. <laughs> <laughs> But after about four or five weeks, I started coming out of it. I'm glad I had it done. Uh, I definitely needed it done. Both my knees were shot. Um, and this was a great, great idea. Um, the doctor that did it, Dr. Thomas, incredible doctor. He did an excellent job, and my knees are doing really well. I'd imagine I'll be able to go full tilt in about three months. Awesome. It usually takes nine months. It's probably only going to take me five months. Oh, that's fantastic. So, are you spending the summer doing anything fun or just kind of rehabbing from the surgery recently? <laughs> Actually, uh, my wife and I went on our honeymoon. Okay, nice. it was ten years ago that we got married, and we finally went on a honeymoon, <laughs> and and we and a ten year anniversary. So our anniversary was July twentieth. We went to the Bahamas for a week. It was incredible. The weather, the resort was awesome. The food was great. We did a lot of activities, parasailing. Uh, it was it was a lot of fun. I got to spend some quality time with my wife alone, which we never get to be alone uh, mm-hmm. over here because I have six kids. <laughs> So uh, it was good to be alone with her for for a week. That's fantastic. Congrats on the anniversary. Congrats on finally going on the honeymoon. And, and you mentioned that it's been <laughs> 10 years. And with the Bahamas, was it the heat wave that you guys went? Or was this recently? Or was this a couple of weeks ago? 
Uh, it was uh, just last week. It was in the 90s. It was pretty <laughs> hot, uh, very humid, uh, but we got used to it. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, going down the beach, uh, the beach is a little more, you know, the, it's a little less um, uh, hot. Um, it's a little cooler at the beach because of the wind blowing, mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the wind that comes off the off the current. And uh, so that was better, but the pool was really hot. It was pretty miserable up there. <laughs> oh, sure. Oh, my God. Here in Connecticut, it was just terrible as far as the heat goes, but that's great to hear. And, you know, you talk about your knee surgery, and, and it's cool, too, just seeing you active lately, not in person on the shows, but we saw you make an appearance last night in video form for Rey Mysterio's 20-year anniversary, obviously a lot of history yeah. there, you know, having the match at SummerSlam 20 years ago. We saw you in video yeah. form for the, for the John Cena tribute a couple of weeks ago, the anniversary, which was fantastic. And, and there was yeah. talk earlier this year of being involved in the Alpha Academy stuff on Raw. I feel like we're seeing more of you now in these various forms in your podcast, too, than you were when you were active a few years ago. It's really cool to see. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they approach me every so often to have me do some stuff. Um, I don't mind doing that stuff. Uh, that, that's why I keep my... Um, I don't commit to any one company. Mm-hmm. I just uh, I do uh, things uh, for WWE when they need me to. Um, I like to keep my um, options open, uh, so uh, I don't sign entirely like a you know uh, where I commit fully to a company. Yeah, I'm just doing my own thing and doing my podcast. I have my supplement company, and uh, I've been taking acting classes. I want to start acting pretty soon here. That's awesome. Is there any one role that you're looking to land, or anything? Just kind of anything in general. <laughs> I would love to land a Marvel role. <laughs> oh, really? What's your favorite Marvel movie? Any any Marvel movies you look you specifically follow? Oh gosh, you know what? I, I love all of them, but um, my favorite one would have to be um, uh, uh, Doctor Strange. I actually really? love that guy. Awesome. Do you? So I, mean, I assume you caught the most recent sequel. Yes, I did. It was incredible. Yes. Oh. Great movie, Multiverse of Madness. That's fantastic. I did not, yes. I did not imagine you as a Marvel guy, but that's actually really cool to hear. I would think you would well, say you Captain America. My, my wife is, and she made me a Marvel fan. <laughs> my wife loves Marvel. <laughs> that's fantastic. And that's kind of a guy thing, right? But yeah. She loves yeah. It, and uh, you know, it was really cool. That I was like, man, my wife is cool. You know, we're watching <laughs> Marvel. We watched all the Marvel movies. We watched them in order too. Oh my goodness, that's so, a lot yeah, of time. We started with uh, Iron Man and went down the list to. We're, we're like we watched almost every one of them already. Oh, that's and, awesome. And the, and the episodes, the TV shows. Yeah, and there's a lot of them too. That that takes a lot of time and a lot of effort. So the fact that you did that <laughs> yeah. is fantastic. That's a great way to spend the rehab process. That's really cool to hear. And that's what we did. Yes. Oh, that's awesome. And you got that between the Bahamas. I'm I'm jealous right now. That sounds like a really fun time. <laughs> you talk about the movie and you talk about or acting and doing acting classes, which is great. I know you mentioned this a while ago. I've Got to give a shout out to a guy, the Solomonster. He's a big fan of yours. You wanted me to ask about this. You mentioned if there was ever a movie about you that you would want Chad Gable to play you. Is that correct? Yes, yes. I love the kid. He's got a lot of charisma. Reminds me of myself. Um, If I had to pick anyone to do my movie, it would definitely be Chad. He was also an Olympian in wrestling. Of course, exactly. And he's fantastic. We see him every week on Raw nowadays. Has there been any serious discussions? We're seeing this you know, documentary for you on Sunday. Has there been any serious discussions as far as from what you know, either from WWE or whatever, about a Kurt Angle movie? And regardless of whether it plays you or not, but any discussions on that front? Any update on that? Not at this particular time. I've been pushing for it. Um, I will continue to push for it. I thought my documentary was done really well. I think it's an excellent documentary. And I think that anybody can turn this into a movie. I'm going to keep looking and make, and hopefully uh, one day soon I'll, I'll find somebody that will do it. 
It would be really cool to see. I mean, obviously, we're going to see a lot about your life in this upcoming doc. To see it portrayed in a biopic would be just as fantastic. In addition to being in a Marvel movie, as you mentioned, which would be a lot of fun as well. And you, you <laughs> yes. talked about that being your dream role. And as far as like just on TV stuff, I know you're done in the ring. You've talked about that a lot. Uh, you know, we almost saw you involved in the Alpha Academy stuff earlier this year with RK Bro. I know you've talked about that as well. If you were to come back for one more role, whether it be a regular or a one-off or whatever, and this is also from uh, Solomonster as well. He was very curious, and this was a great question. Is there any dream role that you have on WWE TV that you would like to come back for, whether it be being a GM again or a manager for, for someone like Chad Gable? Anything along those lines? Yeah, I would love to manage Chad Gable and uh, Otis. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I, I would have absolutely loved um, uh, managing Jason Jordan and Chad Gable. Mm-hmm. I thought that those guys would be the new team angle, and I was pushing for that before Jason got injured. But, um, you know, Otis actually took uh, Jason's place. But I would love to manage those guys. They both have a lot of potential. Otis is a big, you know, burly guy, but he knows how to work. He's really Mm. good. And Chad is really talented. That kid has all the tools necessary to be one of the best. Oh, so great. And he had one of your final matches on Raw a couple of years ago before he retired, which was a lot of fun to see as well. And we got to see you guys on table for three even earlier this year. So it kind of goes full circle to see that interaction, which was great. And uh, that was the last time we saw you was a regular on TV when you were winding down your career, going into WrestleMania. And as someone that was involved with the most recent product as recently as 2019 as a regular, you came back for the one last run. You were involved with the GM role, which was great to see as a longtime fan such as myself. Uh, just thoughts on what's everything going on right now? We got the new head of creative triple h and you know a lot of fans are excited i'm sure the talent's excited it's just change you have a very close relationship with vince you've talked about it before i know you talked about it on twitter and stuff like that just want to get your thoughts and reaction to everything going on right now and the optimism regarding the creative future of the company uh well they're making adjustments mm-hmm. uh it is sad to see vince gone um he's what made the wwe tick he always was the guy. He will continue to be the guy, regardless of whether he's there or not. Um, I, I, I'm not worried about the company. I'm, I am a little bit concerned if Vince isn't going to be there. Mm-hmm. But I, I have all the faith in the world that Stephanie and Triple H uh, are going to be able to carry that company. And I honestly believe, and I don't know if I should say this or not, but I think that Vince is going to be behind the scenes. <laughs> you think <laughs> really so in some form or fashion? I don't think he's ever going to let go of the product product he will send messages to triple h and stephanie <laughs> and make sure that he's involved no doubt about it I, I believe that in my mind what was the last conversation you had with vince whether it was in person over text or whatever you know what i text him uh five days ago awesome because you know when he when he decided to retire mm-hmm. and i said i just said love events mm-hmm. and I, I didn't want to go into detail of what happened yeah, this yeah. and that and and he said, I love you too. And and that's all, that's all we said to each other. And, uh, you know, Vince has always been kind of a father figure to me. Uh, we did have a falling out in 2006, mm-hmm. uh, but we mended that in 2017. And I love the guy to death. He's, he's such a great individual. Uh, we all make mistakes as human beings and, uh, Vince is no different, but he's an excellent individual. Mm-hmm. And I know we'll be hearing all about your career and, you know, you mentioned leaving WWE No. 06 and whatever. And as we wind down here, Kurt, talking about this documentary to wrap up here, what more are you excited for fans to see from this thing? And what more you want to do going forward? You talked about acting and just being busy. Like I said, we've been seeing you everywhere lately. You made an appearance for even Impact a while ago, which was crazy, um, yeah. you know, over, over the video, which was great. Talk a little bit about just what's next for you in this documentary and just life in general, which was great. 
Well, you know what? This documentary is about, you know, good things happening to you and bad things happening to you. And, you know, things that occur in your life, it's really what you, how you respond to them, how you overcome them. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're when you're high on your horse and you're doing really well, there's no complaints. But when you're down in the gutter, um, it's really hard to get out of it. And I know that personally, but it's possible. Anybody can get out of the gutter if they want to. They just have to believe. Fantastic. And last thing for you, Kurt, where can we find your supplement and where can we check it out? Go to physicallyfit.com. We have a product called Snack Smart Crispy Protein Bites and Chicken Snacks Crispy Protein Bites. Um, one's made of chicken. The other one's organic plant protein. Incredible flavors, 11 flavors. They're high protein, low carbohydrate. The company's doing extremely well right now. We're really picking up accounts. Mm-hmm. It's starting to, uh, you know, it's starting to run really well. And uh, I'm really proud of the progress we've made the past year. Awesome. Well, congrats on all the success, Kurt. Like I said, awesome to see you killing it right now. See your foot kind of dipped into various different things, whether it's wrestling related or not. You're all over the place. Like I said, you were in CT the other day at an indie show, which was great to see. But Kurt, before then, though, before anything, you got the documentary coming up on Sunday, A&E, WWE Legends Biography. Uh, it's a two-hour special. Fantastic stuff. Kurt, thanks so much for the time. This has been an honor, and I look forward to talking again in the future. Thank you, Graham. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Kurt. Have a great day. You too. Big thanks to Kurt for the time. A real pleasure chatting with him. But now we're going to throw it to my conversation with Mr. Marceau, who was with me on site in Nashville for SummerSlam weekend. We're going to talk all about SummerSlam and some thoughts on Monday's Raw and Wednesday's AEW Dynamite as well. Mr. Marceau, brother, how are you doing? And are you finally starting to come down from the excitement that was SummerSlam weekend? Yeah, I'm starting to come down a little bit, but uh, I was on a high for a few days. I mean... The fact that the show's on Saturday, I feel like I've cooled down, but uh, I was on a high for a few days. We talked about it before, but you actually like the SummerSlam set, or not the, just the SummerSlam shows, but the Saturday pay-per-views, because I do as well. Yeah, I, I mean, it's it's ideal, I mean, especially when you're traveling, like, I myself, try, I, I left early on uh, on Sunday morning, so I got back to Boston around noonish on on Sunday, so I literally had the rest of the day to, like, relax, you know, you had a, a tougher ride home, but, uh... It was perfect. Like, didn't have to take another day off from work, so no complaints. Perfect. Yeah, no, it was a great time. We spoke last on Saturday, a very rare WrestleRant Radio Saturday episode. I don't think, as I told you last time, as we recorded last Saturday, I don't think I've ever done a show on a Saturday before as far as this show goes. So that was very cool. You can check out our on-site report from everything we did in Nashville on that episode. Uh, We also talked to, which we didn't mention on that show, Logan Paul. That interview's up right now on the YouTube channel, so check that out. Uh, What a great time in Nashville for the, what was it, 72 hours we were there or whatever. It was it was quite crazy, but a really, really fun time. So we're going to get into SummerSlam here today on the show, our on-site report from Nissan Stadium, as well as Raw and Dynamite, which we were not there for, obviously. But we will talk a bit about those shows as well. Um, but yeah, just quite the Saturday and, and how much we enjoyed it and everything else. On Sunday, we weren't there for it, obviously. We flew out on Sunday. Um, but was Ric Flair's last match? I reckon you didn't check it out, but did you hear anything from it? Did you see any clips from Ric Flair's last match, Mr. Marceau? I saw a couple clips. I mean, it looked pretty bad, but I didn't actually see anything. I would definitely recommend checking it out. Better or worse, like for for better or for worse, it was definitely worth watching. I mean, the guy's in, I mean, he's 73 years old. I'm not going to say it was a great match by any means. He looked fucking terrible, but I think it worked as a spectacle. And honestly, I thought Jeff Jarrett was fantastic in that match. So if you can find a link somewhere, I know it's on Fight TV as well ad-free shows, whatever. You can check out the match. I, the rest of the show is solid as well. It had a lot of good matches, but uh, as far as my own personal opinion goes, I talked about this on um, hashtag on Wednesday. Um, it was quite the spectacle. 
And um, it was it was a match that uh, I do not want to see ever again. Ric Flair does not belong in the ring at age 73. We said that a long time ago. But, you know, the show itself was enjoyable. So my full written review will be up at some point over on WrestleRant.com. But as far as SummerSlam goes, Mr. Marceau, Overall impressions, we'll get to it at the end again, but I thought it was a really fun show overall, and I really did think that it continued the streak of strong pay-per-views that WWE has done in 2022. Yeah, I thought it was a good show. I mean, I think it started off hot and it ended hot, so I mean, in between it was a little sketchy some places, but overall I thought it was a good show, but when you start off hot and you end hot, I feel like that's what you usually get. Well, let's talk about that hot opening. We have the Raw Women's Championship defended Bianca Belair, Becky Lynch, WrestleMania rematch. Another really good match from these two ladies. Um, I would not put it on the same level as the WrestleMania match. I still think that was the best match these two have had since SummerSlam last year. But this was still a great match, probably the second best match they've had. Uh, they had a match at Extreme Rules last year. They had the match on Raw that you were there for that was also really, really good for the Raw Women's Championship that Becky, where she won via nefarious means. This was great stuff. Um, that finish was great with the, the C4 or whatever it is, the uh, Spanish fly, and then Bianca immediately hitting that with a clean-looking KOD for the victory. It looked even better on TV. I watched the clip on Twitter a few days ago. It looked amazing. So uh, that was great. And not only was that a great opener, we immediately, right after that, had the return of Bailey, who we have not seen on WWE TV since July of 2021. This was Bailey's first match, our first appearance back with fans in attendance. The last time we saw her on the show, there were no fans, and it was right before the Thunderdome era was about to end. So I'm sure she loved that, hearing that reaction. That alone would have been cool. We were looking at each other like, oh, really cool to see Bailey back. Like we kind of expected it. We talked about it on the show. A lot of people presumed that would be the case. What we did not expect was Dakota Kai coming out next, who we have not seen on WWE TV since before she was released from NXT a few months ago. She was canned back in April. There was no word on what was next for her and did not look like she'd be brought back to WWE. Why would she? I mean, she's been in developmental hell for like five years now. Why would she be called up? And then Triple H takes over, and she gets called up as she should have been a long time ago. Same with Io Shirai, who we were also discussing right before the show amongst ourselves. Will she resign now that Triple H is back? Blah, blah, blah. I did not think they would act that quickly, but they did. Dakota Kai called it a last-minute thing. I don't know how far back Io Shirai's discussions as far as resigning go. I honestly believe that the sole reason why she resigned was because of Triple H being in charge of the main roster now, and that's why she's on the main roster. Vince not wanting anything to do with Io Shirai in the main roster to me is completely laughable, but she is on Raw now, and we have the trio of Bailey. And I say Io Shirai, her new name is Io Sky. Um, changing names is usually never ideal, but, you know, it works and it's closely similar, so I really can't complain too much. And Dakota Kai as well, so uh, what a way to kick off the show. And Becky Lynch turning face, aligning with Bianca against the new heel trio. And we had the follow-up on Raw that we'll talk about after the SummerSlam review. But you talk about a hot opening, Mr. Marceau. This really sent a message to me in one fell swoop how you really can change the complexion of a Raw women's division with all these booking decisions that were made with this one, like, first 20 minutes of the show. No, I think, yeah, I mean, I think the match itself was really good. Like you said, I think the WrestleMania match was probably, I would say, it was better. Um, but, I mean, this was still a great match regardless. I think these two have great chemistry. All their matches have been good. The WrestleMania one was better, but I think it was a, st- a perfect way to start the show. Um, like you said, Bailey coming back. Like, yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, we talked about it like a couple hours before, and we, did, we uh, recorded the show last week that we thought that, I mean, there was a good chance we'd see Bailey that night so like yeah she came out we're like okay it's pretty cool like bailey's back yep nice whatever and then when dakota's music hit the place went bananas like i i mean none of us saw that coming obviously and then 
um, with EO. I mean, I, we, me, you, and Rick were literally talking about, like, oh, our contract's up either today or tomorrow, and then, boom, she's back on back, and she's in the main roster now. And like you said, they have Becky come back, turn face, and we get that nice stare-off, and it leads into Monday. But, yeah, I mean, I think Raw had a good t- women's division anyways. I mean, adding those women definitely helped to it as well. But, I mean, it's that's kind of what it is. I mean, I think SmackDown, like, they do have a lot of up-and-coming women, but they really don't have too many, like, established women. Raw definitely does. Like, for how much we shit on, like, Carmella and, like, Selena Vega, like, they're all good hands in the ring, and they're, like, established. SmackDown, they have, like, all the younger NXT girls that really haven't got their footing yet on their main roster. So, them going to Raw, maybe we'll see someone else established or established people going to SmackDown because I feel like they could use more bigger names. Ronda now out, technically suspended, and, I mean, Charlotte should be coming back anytime now, too. So, I think it was a good get for Raw, especially what happened on, on Monday night as well. But, I mean, to kind of, like, start a, or start the show or make a statement, it was the perfect way to kind of do that. I think the key word is depth. I mean, they really added a lot of depth to those three women. Like you said, the, the division wasn't complete garbage before. They're just the, I think the biggest issue with the Raw Women's Division prior to SummerSlam, there really was not a lot going on beyond the main championship picture. I mean, to the point where we had Carmella in the title picture for much longer than she probably should have been. And all credit to Carmella for playing her role well. But she should not be in that Raw Women's Championship picture when you have Asuka really not doing much. Alexa Bliss, moreover than anyone, not really doing much. Um, and a few other women that they clearly have no idea what to do with. You know, so they really needed that depth. They needed the heels. Becky Lynch, too. And I really like that Triple H reportedly, this was his call to turn her face. Um, and I do think the heel turn ended up working out for the best. She had great character work. And I mentioned to you on Saturday night, I, I wish, you know, she would ditch the dumb outfits. And you said that was the point. And I agree, that was the point of whole heel Becky Lynch. I prefer, personally, babyface Becky. She's just naturally likable. And I think the biggest issue with the run, although it was a success, because it served the purpose in getting Bianca more over than she was previously, and they they succeeded at doing that with the long feud and paying it off at WrestleMania, and I think her storyline arc since Mania with her kind of crumbling down, losing a lot of matches, was honestly shit on Vince all you want, but I thought it was perfectly executed with what they've done with Becky since WrestleMania, and really even before Mania as well as champion. Um, but the biggest problem with that run was the fact that she would cut promo saying, oh, you people turned on me. You people are the worst. Like, you don't believe in me. And then all the while, those promos were getting droned out by cheers for Becky Lynch. Like, that's what happened when she turned heel, what was it, four years ago at SummerSlam? And um, it really is amazing. She turned heel at SummerSlam back in 2018. She turned heel again at SummerSlam last year and then babyface this year. So SummerSlam really is the man show. And we are getting the man again, as she indicated on Monday's Raw. So I think it's a very exciting time right now for the Raw Women's Division, and moreover than anything, going back to my original point, it gives them something to do. Not only is it Bianca versus X-Challenger, now it's Bianca versus Bailey. It's Bianca versus Dakota. It's Bianca versus EO Sky, which we got on Monday's Raw, and you throw Alexa Bliss into the mix, give her something meaningful to do for a change. Asuka has something going on finally. Becky's out for the foreseeable future with an injury. She should be back around November. Put her in a War Games match. I mean, could you see that be, could you see that being the culmination of what they're doing right now with the Raw Women's Division being some sort of a War Games match in November? Because I feel like that's a Triple H idea, and it would work perfectly on a show like Survivor Series. No, definitely, yeah. I, I think, like you said, with the depth and everything, I mean, Becky going babyface, like I said, even in, 20, in 20, what was it, 2018 when she turned heel at SummerSlam, like, even though she did turn heel, like, 
a couple months later, she was already a baby face, basically. The fans, like, basically made her a baby face. Like, turning on, you turn heel on Charlotte Flair, you're not really turning heel. I mean, if anything, you're turning big <laughs> so, Yeah. But, and I, I think going back to being a baby face, like you said, even when she was saying in those promos, like, you turn on her, people are still cheering for her. I mean, she's always been a better baby face than heel, and I think it did what it needed to do to get Bianca over as a star, because I think she's at that level now. Like, she's at, like, four horsewomen level now, and which, I mean, good to her. I mean, she's done amazing work as well. But uh, Becky going to be out for a little bit, which I think is a good thing. I mean, I, how can we miss you if you don't go away? I mean, she's been back for a full year. Now she's going to go babyface, and she'll be gone for a little bit. And, I mean, that pop when she gets back will be even bigger now. So hopefully she can rest up and get back, like I said, hopefully November time. I mean, with the women they have and the way it's setting up, I could see something like a War Games or a match in that kind of ilk for all these women putting them in one big match. Yeah, I don't want to put all my eggs in one basket thinking that's what they're going to do, but I think it'd be really cool. Don't want to set my hopes up too high thinking, you know, that it's going to happen and then it doesn't. But I do think it would be a perfect way to kind of further the feud, culminate the feud. Becky only has a separated shoulder. Rick called that immediately. I didn't really pick up on that. I saw that her shoulder was red, um, but he picked up on that as soon as the match was over, saying that she was hurt. And sure enough, it was uh, confirmed the next day that she was. So a separated shoulder is not the worst injury. She should be back relatively soon. I say foreseeable future, but, you know, maybe by October early November, maybe as early as late next month, we'll see. Um, it's not too far off, which is good, but they have women in her absence to really fill that gap, and Rhea Ripley's still there as well, and we kind of forgot about her, but she's with the Judgment Day stuff right now, so um, there's a lot of, I mean, Sasha Banks and Naomi as well. I mean, that's another thing. Let's mention that real quick as far as the women's division is concerned. Reportedly, they might be on their way back to the company. We mentioned that the other day, I think, while we were walking out of the hotel or something. You know, I think... Someone asked me about that. I don't know if it was you or if it was Rick or someone else. They were like, oh, they have their conventions coming up. And I'm thinking, yeah, I mean, what if they just agree to allow them to do that appearance in Chicago, but they're just signed back to the company? I mean, that would not shock me at all. When they, when they re-sign people to the company and they have, like, indie dates set up, sometimes they allow them usually to, to fulfill those indie dates before or while they're with the company. So... I mean, I could certainly see that, but kind of on the note of this division and the Raw Women's Division, I don't think if Sasha and Naomi come back, they're going to Raw. I don't think they should. SmackDown, I think, needs them more. That's where they were before they uh, walked out. But kind of going off that report, do you think Sasha and Naomi are on their way back to WWE, and do you want to see them back in WWE? Yeah, I think, I mean, from the reports I've seen, they seem like credible reports. I mean, seemingly, I think we could possibly see them as early as tomorrow night, so... I mean, with Triple H coming and back, I feel like there's, like, obviously Sasha's a Triple H girl. Like, I mean, she grew up through WWE, through NXT, through Triple H. So, I mean, what they saw, if they if anything is what we saw on Saturday is anything, how the women are going to be treated, and I feel like Raw kind of, they're highlighted as well. I mean, I, I think SmackDown could definitely use them back, and they could add some more blood to that. Like I said, more depth. I mean, they can still build up the other girls coming up, but those, like, pioneers or veterans definitely like can make up for the for the greenness for sure and um hopefully at some point we get to see them back on tv like you said it could be as early as tomorrow night on smackdown i hope so it might be a little bit longer for them to work things out but i mean it's definitely more of a uh, possibility now than it was when vince was in charge it really is amazing how much has already changed with vince gone but uh I mean, Triple H was the same guy who brought back Bruno many years ago and brought back Ultimate Warrior, among others. So I can't say I'm too shocked, but the fact he's working this quickly is quite amazing. So it's already turning out to be a major positive. 
Uh, the next match in the show is one of the better matches of the entire night. Logan Paul and The Miz, which we actually had a chance to sit in on for the rehearsal of the day before at SummerSlam in Nissan Stadium, which was a real cool experience. We talked before about uh, meeting Logan Paul, chatting with him real quickly before his match. Uh, watching that whole thing was, was really, really cool. And uh, the match played out exactly as they rehearsed it, and Paul looked great in the rehearsal, and he looked great in the match itself. Um, I thought he did a great job here. So, uh, yeah, and honestly, I think the real key here, which I was doubtful of, was that he would win over the audience by the end. They even made comments about that while we were there, like, oh, they're going to win him over, you're going you're gonna to definitely win him over by the end, crowd goes nuts. And I'm thinking, okay, ideally, you know, that's what they're going for. But they did, actually. People were very much behind Logan Paul by the time this match was over. He is definitely a natural heel, and I still would pivot him towards that role at some point if this face run doesn't work out long term. And I would do that inevitably. But for now, it, you know, he has some momentum here coming off this great performance. And I thought it was a really fun match. The big spots delivered. And Logan Paul came away from this looking like a star. So, you know, for someone that wasn't an overly big fan of Logan Paul himself coming into his signing a couple of months ago, um, I think as recently as a month ago, I'm honestly on board of the idea of him becoming a WWE superstar. I think he has the natural ability to succeed in this sport if he really continues to put his mind to it. No, yeah, I thought this was a great match. Like you said, I, I, I think that when you were saying people weren't sure if he was going to get over, I just feel like all the spots, like they put him in all like the big spots. Like fans like seeing the, the dives and the flips and yeah, like all that stuff. And like he hit all those and hit the big power slam. Like he hit all the like the big, babyface spots that people want to see and i feel like miz in his like iq and his veteranness like he knew like he didn't do any of that stuff he didn't do anything off the top rope he didn't do anything that was big because you want the babyface to shine and that's what he did i mean people can love and love her and hate on the miz and i would i'll say like i was never really his biggest fan but i mean seeing what we saw at the rehearsal seeing like what he did there and kind of the way the match was laid out, which probably was all his design or work with producers, but I bet you he had a big hand in it. I mean, he did all the veterans, all the veteran heel stuff to get the baby face to shine. And I mean, Logan Paul shine. Like I said, it wasn't like Miz did any dives or any big moves. He didn't, he basically did little to big, any moves at all and let Logan get all the spotlight. So I, I think Logan looked good in there. I mean, he is natural. He's a great athlete, but I think Miz deserves more credit. Just like, putting him over and like making him shine like the baby face should. Absolutely. I think he was the perfect first opponent for Logan Paul in WWE. We talked about that previously, but just coming off the match itself, and there were a lot of shenanigans. It was overbooked to shit. You had Champa out there, Maurice interfered, AJ Styles came out. We forgot to mention that. So he at least got on the show um, in some form or fashion. But um yeah, I know I think Miz was the perfect first opponent for him. He did a great job. Where he goes from here, I mean, we'll talk about that in a raw review, but uh, I thought he did an awesome job here, no pun intended. Bobby Lashley, in theory, not much to it. Quick four or five minute match in the United States Championship. Lashley taps out Theory quickly. Theory doesn't really hesitate to tap out, which was obviously done by design, not to make Theory look weak, but to save himself for the cash-in later on in the night, which we'll discuss later on. But uh, they had a great match of Money in the Bank. That's not what this was. This was kind of a short and sweet angle, just to get Lashley on the show, I guess. Um, in retrospect... I mean, the show did end like a half an hour past when it was advertised to around 10.30 local time, 11.30 Eastern time. So I was going to say replace this with Gunther and Nakamura or whatever, but um, at the same time, I don't want them getting five minutes. So this was probably, as far as short matches go, this was what it needed to be, and uh, not much more to say about it than that, I guess. I thought this was a good match for what it was. He said, I mean, the money in the back 
Money in the Bank one was a lot better, but they also had a lot more time. And I mean, there was it was different stakes at that point. I mean, I think the reason this match is probably shorter too is like the the finish was never really in doubt. I mean, yeah, Theory was like, oh, I'm gonna cash in and get both belts. Like, no, you're not. I mean, it's that. I think that's what probably for most people, myself, like that's why I wasn't like offended or mad that the match wasn't too too long because I just like. I just assumed it wasn't because the chances of him cashing, one, winning the belt back a month later just didn't seem like that was going to happen. And then two, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's realistically at the end of the day why it didn't bother me because clearly they're setting up Bobby to be, like, the main champion on Raw until they, maybe they get, like, one of the big belts. But, like, we saw on Monday as well, like, they, they kind of spotlighted the United States Championship a little bit. And I think Bobby's kind of getting that, like, rub right now. And, him just being theory quick is what needed to happen. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it was what it needed to be, and Lashley got the win, remaining dominant as champion, which is the message they're sending right now with Lashley, that he's a very dominant champion. So, yeah, like you said, that wasn't it wasn't meant to be a great match. They had their great match at Money in the Bank, and Theory was never going to really walk out with this was the, with the win, nor should he have, or both championships or three titles, I guess, to close the night. So I, I didn't have an issue with this. No DQ tag team match in the Mysterios taking on Judgment Day's Finn Balor and Damian Priest. I say no DQ, but there really wasn't anything hardcore about this at all. I need some sort of middle ground, and WWE does this sometimes, as a, as does AEW, but I need a good middle ground for these no DQ hardcore street fights, whatever you want to call it. I feel like it's either very tame, like what we got here with this match, and the only reason why they had that stipulation was so Edge could return, interfere, and help the babyfaces win. That was the only reason that stipulation was there, unless the referee got knocked out in a regular match. Um, it's either very tame, like we get in WWE most weeks, or it's like way over the top, like that dumbass barbed wire anywhere match that we reviewed a week or two ago. I need some good middle ground here, and that's not what this was. But the match itself was well wrestled. It was well worked. It got Edge back. Edge, we figured, what was behind the vignettes, and he was. Comes out with new music that he did not re- you know, bring back on Raw. It was a one-time thing. Uh, laid out Priest, laid out Finn Balor, and the Mysterios win, and the Judgment Day lose again. Uh, no real surprise there. These guys are just fucking losers. I, I I mean, I still say that they're close to being damaged goods. You say they are damaged goods. This loss does not help their case at all. Uh, the match was fine for what it was, and Edge feuding with Priest and Balor makes sense based on how we, you know, the last time we saw him on TV getting kicked out of the group by Priest and Balor and Rhea Ripley. It's just hard to care when the faction means as little as it does right now, and they weren't really protected in Edge's absence. Yeah, I mean, this match is what it was. Like you said, I mean... I would prefer less non-DQ and, like, like I'm kind of more on the other end, like, but, like, if you're going to do it, like, especially in a tag match, like, it should be Tornado, like, you're tagging in on a no-DQ match, like, what's the, why do you have to tag if there's no-DQ, like, that's things, like, that's such a WWE thing, it's like, there's a no-DQ match, but you have to tag in and out, like, why, why would you have to, there's no-DQ, it shouldn't matter, so, but, um, it was a fine match, so, I, I mean, if they're starting to steer the group towards Rhea being, like, the head of it, I think, honestly, it's probably the best for the group because I just don't think, well, now that Triple H is in charge, maybe not because I think he has more faith behind Balor than Vince ever did. But, I mean, this match was fine. Them losing, I mean, they have an out because Edge came back, but, like, they've eaten so many losses that they really do need to rehab the group a little bit and start winning more because... If you're getting, I love the Mysterio specifically, right? Dominic needs to be in NXT for the 10th time. But um, you lose to them, like, weekly, you're just not going anywhere. 
Yeah, it's just, I don't know if the feud's continuing based on what we saw in Raw. Dominic really should be in NXT. I would agree with that. And yeah, I mean, I don't know if Balor is going to get better luck in the main roster now that Triple H is in charge creatively. I know Ciampa is. We saw that on Raw this week. We'll talk about that momentarily. But yeah, it's, it's a weird thing with Judgment Day. I'm not really sure where they go from here. I do not see them emerging from that feud on the winning end. I, I don't know. I would just I don't even know if I would scrap it. I mean, making it Rhea Ripley's little stable, I guess, works. Um, I don't know. You really got to do something to get these guys and, and, and Rhea back on the right track. Cause so far, it, it ain't good. But the match was fine. And Judgment Day, you know, being avenged by Edge um, last night, or uh, at SummerSlam, rather, made sense. So it, it served its purpose. Uh, Pat McAfee and Happy Corbin, to me, was one of the more anticipated matches coming into this event. Didn't end up being a great match. There were a couple of awkward spots. McAfee's stuff did not look as clean as usual. Almost died at a couple points. But overall, it was a fun match. You know, McAfee is just an absolute riot to watch to me. And uh, Corbin, like The Miz, as you mentioned earlier, always plays his role well. So I actually really like the match. McAfee won with a sunset flip or a code red or whatever you want to call it. I guess a pseudo code red. And uh, that was the match. So... I don't really know where you go with this from here. Corbin is still on the roster. McAfee is not a regular wrestler. Um, I would make Baron. I would make Happy Corbin Baron Corbin again and give him back his old music. That's just me. Um, the match in a vacuum though was fun stuff and again what it needed to be. I thought. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. The match was there. It's probably the worst match of the night. I mean, like I said, it just wasn't as clean as McAfee's normal matches are. The whole happy stuff needs a guy. I said this last time we talked, but I was saying hopefully if he loses, he can kind of like away from the happy style, so we'll see maybe tomorrow night if they start getting in that direction, but I mean, McAfee's not a normal wrestler, like a contracted wrestler, so it's not like he's going to go in this big money feud, I mean, he'll go back to commentary, but uh, yeah, I would have Corbin go back to more of a Baron Corbin NXT than, than this happy crap. Yeah, it served its purpose, I mean, he started about a year ago after the bum-ass Baron Corbin stuff, which was cut short way too quickly. Um, but he did it about a year ago around SummerSlam weekend, and he's been doing it ever since, and uh, it's time to move on. This is not a character that he should have for two years, like he was doing with, um, you know, the King shit, which was just terrible. Uh, no no disrespect to him, but the character itself was just not good. He, he really was very limited in that role. Um, this is better. It's not great. And uh, it was refreshing at first, but it, it, it's definitely run its course, and it's time to move on. Uh, the Usos facing the Profits for the undisputed WWE Tag Team titles here. Jeff Jarrett serving the special guest referee. Big weekend for Jeff Jarrett in Nashville. Um, good match again. A lot like with Theory and Lashley. Not on the same level as the Money in the Bank match. It was a good match, um, but not a great match. And the Usos retained again. I had the Profits winning. You had the Usos retaining, and you were right. And uh, I thought, you know, Montez Ford's... Ang- and I don't want to say anger issues, but like his frustration was really noticeable towards the end. As far as, not legitimately, but like in storyline. I felt like that might have been meant to plant the seeds that they might indeed be splitting up, which they hinted at on Raw on Monday. So, again, good match. Title still on the Usos. Thought this was good for what it was. Well wrestled. And uh, the profit split might be coming sooner rather than later, I think. Yeah, this was a great match. I mean, I have no complaints. I thought it was a fun match. I thought everyone did their job well. Jeff Jarrett, I mean, he was there. He really didn't do too much, but, I mean, I thought it was a good match for what it was, and it was just retaining. I mean, I like the Profits, but, like we've said a thousand times, like they've had probably three or four title shots, and they lost every time. So, I mean, it was just I feel like that went through all the tease tension and everything, that, that would have been, like, the one weird spot that they just won it. Like, that would be such a Vince thing, like, having them lose, like, five times, and then, 
when you think it's like they're going to split up, they finally win the belts. But uh, mm-hmm. luckily they didn't. And like you said, they did express more frustration with each other. And I think the split is coming soon. But uh, no, I think Usos winning, it's the right move, especially how many times they beat the Profits. It kind of look weird if they finally dropped them. I've asked this before, but they beat the Mysterios on Raw in the main event to retain the tag team titles. Where do you think we're going with the Usos? I mean, I like legitimately look at this division on Raw and SmackDown, even NXT, and there is not a single team that comes to mind, okay, this should be the team or could be a team that could beat the Usos. I mean, they've already beaten the Prophets a million times. They've beaten the Mysterios a million times. The New Day, God no, no thank you. I like the New Day, but no thanks. They've already beaten the Raiders, Los Lotharios. They just, they're barely on TV and... They've already beaten them too, not to re- not for the titles, but you know they they've beaten them previously. Um, I'm not even maximum male models. God no. Um, you know the only team that comes to mind, and I was thinking about this, and not that this will happen, but you know we'll we'll talk more about it in the raw review in a moment. But if they were to get back Johnny Gargano and put him back with Ciampa, DIY and the Usos would be fire, and honestly, I would have DIY be the ones to take the titles from the Usos. And that's a dream booking scenario involving someone who isn't even signed to the company currently, as far as we know. But I really can't think what else you do with the Usos because that division is completely depleted right now. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's going to be tough. I mean, a lot of people. I mean, I think as I've, I think we've said as well. I mean, realistically, I feel like the way the story is being told or could be told, it realistically should be Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens. I mean, yeah. Have Sammy. I mean, I think Sammy's out right now with some kind of injury, but like you have him come back, kind of like do something with him, like trying to get like back in the bloodline, yada yada yada. Like, oh, you guys never reached out to me when I was hurt. They kind of be like, dude, you're not part of the bloodline. Make the move there, and then you have Sammy and and, and Kevin go after the tag belts. Besides them, like you said, there's no like specific team that's like, oh yeah, it's them. It won't be the Raiders with their heels. So it won't be them. I mean. Yeah, I, I really don't know. Like, so the tag team division in NXT is not much better. So, I mean, Triple H has his hands full because the tag team division on, on NXT and WWE is just not good. Yeah, no, they need to create more teams. That really should be one of the goals going forward in this new era. Uh, we get to the SmackDown Women's Championship match. Liv Morgan defending against Ronda Rousey. Another very short match, under five minutes. Ronda dominating a majority of it. I was on the edge of my seat thinking Ronda might win. She had Morgan in the armbar at least two or three different times. I thought that was it, but Morgan got out of it, and you called the finish. It was Morgan kind of rolling her up and getting the three count, which I thought was the perfect finish. I saw some people shitting on it online, and I didn't really understand why until I found out, and you maybe you realized this. I did not. I did not realize that Morgan actually tapped out when the referee wasn't looking, which was obviously done by design. Uh, to protect Rousey, keep the belt on Morgan. The key here is they kept the belt on Morgan. I really didn't care how they did it. I mean, I'm glad they didn't do a DQ or a counter. That would have been very dumb. The way they did it here was clever. I would have done it without Liv Morgan tapping out. That was a little too on the nose. But otherwise, you know, Ronda was protected in the loss. She dominated the entire match. And they kept the belt on Morgan. So honestly, it accomplished what it needed to. And Ronda turned heel afterward, which I did not think they would do. Because Ronda came back as a babyface. And Vince really wanted her to be a babyface, but I read a headline earlier that they are trying to kind of fix everyone that was that was miscast. Uh, whether it's Becky Lynch or Ronda Rousey or this person or that person, I'm all for that. I think I think fixing the roles for a lot of these people is the best thing to do. And Ronda Rousey, not to say she'll be immediately better with the heel turn, but she is more natural in that role, and I think it's the right route for them to take. Yeah, I thought this was like the mismatch was exactly what it needed to be. 
I mean, it got the result that we wanted. I mean, Liv had to win here, and she did. I mean, I was fine with them, her, like, technically tapping, because like I said, then it, that basically set up the run to heel turn. I mean, you definitely could have had it, so, like, she's tapping out as they count the race, or it is, like, more of a, a split 50-50, and then they just, realistically, that's probably what they should have done. They should have had it tap three. They both, she should have pinned her at three, and then she should have tapped on three. They come the referees out. They're like, well, you know, Ty goes to the champion, and then Ronda flips the fuck out. And then, like, basically, I mean, Liv technically lost because she tapped out before. But yeah. I guess not what they really wanted was Ronda turning heel. So, I mean, theoretically, I think the way it's setting up, we'll probably, Ronda will come back heel and fucking destroy Liv. I mean, I don't know when that's going to happen, but, I, I mean, what's probably going to happen, I could see that. And then that's how you'll get Ronda and Becky at WrestleMania. But, I mean, I, I, I think it was exactly what needed to be done and kind of keep the belt on Liv is what needed to happen. So... The way it happened, it could have been probably cleaner and better, but we got Ronda Heel and Liv still champion. Exactly. So it was what it needed to be, and uh, yeah, you mentioned what's next for Liv Morgan. Do you see this ultimate leading to, to Liv Morgan losing the championship to Ronda at some point, or do you think she can continue to escape with the championship intact? I think she'll win for a couple of months, and then whenever they bring Ronda back, she's going to lose it immediately. You mean Charlotte? No, she's going to lose it both to Ronda. Oh, yeah, well... You're talking about the suspension, so I heard that she will be back for Clash, so that, by your logic, she'll lose it by Clash of the Castle. Oh, I didn't know. She, I thought she was going to be out for a while. I, I, uh, you mentioned that. You actually did mention that at the pay-per-view. You were like, oh, maybe they'll suspend her, and then she'll be gone for a while. I like that idea, but from what Meltzer said, and take it with a grain of salt, she'll be back very soon. Oh. Uh, um, I mean, maybe, like you said, maybe you could have her come, like, I just, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think Liv keeping the belt longer... Like, even longer than Clash needs to happen. Like, Survivor Series for me is a lot, lot. Like, she should have it no, like, lose it a little sooner than then. So, maybe, like you said, do something with the Clash and you have Charlotte come back and cost Ronda and they try to push Charlotte as a face again for the 20th time and not work. <laughs> God, no. Yeah, I don't know. But, uh, I, I, like I said, Liv should hold the belt no, no sooner than Survivor Series should she drop it. I would at the very earliest I would keep it on her beyond that, but I would agree as far as at least the earliest she should drop it. Um, if you have Ronda as a heel, I would bring back Charlotte as a heel, obviously, and then hopefully if Sasha and Naomi come back, that kind of balances out the babyface side of things on SmackDown. Yeah, but Sasha's the worst fucking babyface of all time. Listen, I agree, character work wise, I agree, but there's no denying she's fucking over though. That's the thing. No, she's over, but she's like. Not a babyface. You and I do not like her as a babyface. I'm sure we're not the only ones. But I think bringing her back on the babyface, I mean, they can't have her as a heel right now anyway. If you have Ronda as a heel, I mean, I'd rather have Charlotte as a heel than than Sasha. Because Sasha, I mean, at least Charlotte, she's not that... Sasha's not likable as a face either. But at least she'll get great, like, universally positive reaction. Charlotte will not, I'm, I'm telling you. Yeah, I agree. But, I mean, I'm just saying, it's, just, it's a lesser of two evils, so... You kind of have to pick and choose, I guess. Um, at some point, though, yes, I would turn back Sasha into a heel. That's the role that she is best in anyway. Uh, we get to the main event. We also had Drew coming out, cutting a promo. That was fine for what it was. The Rollins and Riddle brawl. Any thoughts in either of those segments? I thought the Rollins and Riddle brawl screamed NXT and it felt amazing. Uh, yeah, it, it reminded me of when they did that same thing with Killian Dean and Riddle a few years ago, TakeOver. It was literally what it needed to be. It, like, felt amazing it felt authentic it was like honestly like i said it like 
some of that stuff, I feel like some of that stuff can be better than a match sometimes, which people don't understand. Like, I think that helps the feud a little bit more, builds it up, and then, like you said, now, get, now even that interaction, it's like, Riddle was hurt. Well, obviously, we didn't see him on Monday. But, like, that can plant the seeds even more. Like, he's still hurt. And then he can fight his way back. And then, like, even, I mean, theoretically, they're saying they're going to face a clash. But you can have, you know, technically, they don't want him to wrestle. But Riddle's going to do it. They're, they're going to do, like, a non-sanctioned match. They can do it at Clash of Champion or whatever, Clash of the Castle. You have Rollins beat him there again. And then it can eventually lead to Randy coming back. Yeah, exactly. There's a couple different ways they can go with it. But, uh, yeah, no, maybe Randy comes back and faces Rollins. But, uh, no, I like the angle. I thought what they did was good. And, uh, you know, it saved them from doing a 20-minute match. I was bummed they were off the show, and they're saving it for Clash. So it allows the feud to be built up a bit more, which I like. Um, otherwise, if you did this match on the show and had everything else go 15 minutes as well, this show would have been over at fucking midnight, even, even Central Time. So I'm glad they didn't do that. But the main event, though, was Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar. Last man standing match for the undisputed WWE Universal Championship. Uh, very little fan expectations coming into it. I, I've gotten excited before for their matches. The Crown Jewel match, that was good. I liked that match last year. But the WrestleMania match was good, but it was very underwhelming. And a few of their other encounters kind of fell below that, that level of uh, expectations as well. So I didn't really have high hopes for this. No one really was clamoring for it. Randy was out injured, so they couldn't do Roman and Randy. But listen, for a match that was not on the books a couple of months ago, this ended up being better than it had any right to be, and that's putting it lightly. This was an absolute war. They did some creative shit with the tractor and the ring being tipped over. That was a great visual. Mike, Alexis's father, so told me yesterday that it was one of the best matches he's ever seen, and uh, he's been watching wrestling for a very long time. Granted, he's a Brock fan, so he's biased, but still, he loved that. And uh, even watching it live in person was an absolute spectacle. So I love the hell out of this match. That it was easily the best match they've had since WrestleMania 31. Not quite sure I would put it over that match, but this one was a lot of fun. And Roman winning was the right call. Roman should not be losing until at least Clash of the Castle, where I think he might lose to Drew, but we'll get to that when we get to it. But um, yeah, I want to get your thoughts on this uh, spectacle of a main event that was Roman versus Brock for the upteenth time. No, I thought this, like you said, this was great. I think this was like... Literally what they said it was, was like the culmination of a hoss fight, and that's what it was. It was just two absolute behemoths going at each other, doing everything possible to beat one another. Like you said, pulled out the tractor, flipped the ring, chairs, stairs, interference, it had everything, Heyman bump, which you never see. I mean, Brock looked like a fucking looked like Godzilla, basically. He took, him, took like 30 spears, like... It was exactly what it needed to be. Like they like said, the culmination of all their fights. And like I said, it was like, it was like Godzilla vs. King Kong. It, it was done perfectly. And, I mean, no one left disappointed. And I, I think Roman winning was the right call, so that was good. Or the guy winning, the correct guy winning is always important, people. And Roman won. Like I said, now it leads to him and Drew at Clash the Castle. And I thought it was the best match they've had since WrestleMania 31. Not even, not not even close. close. Yeah. Please let that be the end. Please let there not be another match between these two men. They closed out their feud, a very long feud that, you know, you know, very long-running rivalry since 2015. On a high note, they did a great job of that. So it felt like the culmination of a hoss fight, as you described it. And, um, yeah, I thought it was the right result as well. Brock was protected in defeat with all the interference. Again, overbooked the shit, but I thought it was a very entertaining main event and what it needed to be and, and a lot more than that. So on a quick side note with Brock... 
what do you think the future holds for him? I do not think we've seen the last of his matches in WWE. I heard he's even advertised coming up, I think, for day one. Um, I did not know they announced day one at SummerSlam. I guess they did in a commercial. Maybe I wasn't paying attention or we just didn't see it in the arena. Uh, maybe it was on SmackDown. I think it was on SmackDown they announced it because they were in Atlanta, and that's where it's going to be again on uh, January 1st, 2023. Brock was on the poster for that show. It doesn't mean much. I mean, Brock was on the poster for WrestleMania Backlash too, and he wasn't on that show either. Um, but yeah, I could see Brock being back for that. What he does is the question. I don't know if Roman will still be champion by then. They should absolutely not put him in the fucking title picture anyway. How would you book Brock? Would you put him in an attraction match? Would you have someone call him out? Uh, does he rekindle a rivalry maybe? Would you be content with never seeing Brock wrestle again in WWE? I, I want to get your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I, I, I literally think at this point it is interesting. He's not one of the boys, so it's... I, I don't know. I feel I feel like at this point, like, it's tough with his situation. I feel like it has to be like a special attraction, especially with his limited schedule. I mean, if he was coming back for more regular dates, I mean, I think, honestly, you could probably, if you really wanted to, which, I mean, I don't think they would, like, maybe give him, like, an IC or U.S. title run. I mean, besides that, what else are you going to do with them? I mean, he, besides, like, Drew and Brock, I just or Drew and Roman, I really don't know what else you would do with them, in, like, right now. He's not going to do, like, a normal thing. I, I really don't. I really don't know. I don't even have a guess, honestly. Well, you got to remember, too, that, you know, if he does come back, he's got to win. I mean, whatever match he has next, whether it be with a Bobby or a Gunther or whoever that people want to see Brock face again or for the first time, he has to win. I mean, he lost to Roman twice, dude, in the last couple of months. And he lost. He actually lost to him three times, if you include the Crown Jewel match. He went 0-3 against Roman since returning in 2021. Props to Brock for doing the job. I mean, the guy did not lose for a very long time after breaking the streak. And he finally lost. Um, you know, he lost to Drew, too, at WrestleMania before he left. The guy needs wins. I mean, I say that as if he's buried. I mean, he doesn't. Um, he, he's not buried by any means. But the guy should probably be winning a majority of his matches. And he just has not won lately, as he... That, that, that's correct, given each situation. But... You know, whatever match he has next, I don't want to see him in there with Gunther if Gunther's going to lose or if Bobby's going to lose, maybe. I mean, it has to be the right situation. It has to be the right opponent. And I'm not sure if Brock's the guy to just come in and, and do a quick match. I mean, he is, but as far as, like, for example, when they brought back Goldberg three years ago to do that squash with Dolph, I loved it. I thought that was perfect. Dolph was talking shit about him for a few weeks. Goldberg comes back, beats him in a two- or three-minute match. I thought that was perfect. Ziggler sold his ass off. Was it a marquee match? No. But the real appeal was in Goldberg wrestling a match and winning. And I don't know if Brock... They have never booked Brock on a pay-per-view in, like, a, like a squash, yes. But as far as, like, against a lower-level loser. Like, I don't know if he's going to have a pay-per-view match with Sami Zayn, for example. Which, honestly, would be fucking great, given their history on SmackDown. That would be awesome. Um... I, I don't know if they would do that per se, or him and Dolph, or someone like that. So, you really got to pick. You, you, I don't know. I feel like at this point, you mentioned his schedule. He was very much full time when he was doing the Roman stuff going into WrestleMania. He was on almost every SmackDown for a good like four or five month period, which was really impressive. Um, I just don't know what you bring him back for if it's not for the championship. I mean, the guy would wipe his ass with the Intercontinental Championship. So I'm not even sure if that's an option, but. I don't know. Are there any opponents on the current roster that you would want to see him face? I mean, again, putting aside the circumstances, okay, he would have to lose, but is it a Bobby again and get a real match out of them? Or is it a Gunther? Or is it someone else that we haven't really uh, thought of yet? A Drew again, who we didn't really get to see that match. I mean, the match was only four minutes and it wasn't in front of fans. So I'm curious what other potential dream opponents you have for Brock at this point. Like you said, I mean, I think like, like 
Gunther beating him would definitely be ideal, but like I said, he needs to win. I think there's a better chance, like you said, like you feed him like a Sami Zayn or something or someone around that those lines. And if you're going to keep – keep the thing is, the problem with Brock, realistically, at the end of the day, is like he needs – he's such a big attraction. It's like main, it's main title or bust, I feel like. I mean, he's such a big name. They're paying him so much. Like being an underneath guy, like a mid-card guy, just doesn't even seem like it's in the card. So, yeah. I mean, like I said, maybe – Beating up like a Sami Zayn, like you said, like more of a squash match, and then maybe doing something with. I mean, him and Gunther, I think, feel like it's like that's one of the dream matches for Brock that he hasn't faced yet. But I guess we'll see what's coming up. But I mean, besides that, I, I don't see him like mid carding anywhere. Yeah, I don't see that either. I don't see him being in the middle of a show on a pay per view facing some random guy. I don't see him facing Damian Priest on a fucking day one show or facing, you know, Ricochet. I mean. I say Ricochet. He actually did face Ricochet a couple of years ago, but that was for the WWE title, and he beat him in 90 seconds. That was a bit different. Um, that was when Brock was the champion. But yeah, if it was a match not for a championship, not for a world title, I really don't know what you'd do with him. And I want to see Brock. I, I do want to see Brock be brought back. I mean, his latest runs have been great as far as his character work and the babyface stuff. Cowboy Brock is fucking money. So I do want to see more of Cowboy Brock, but it's got to be in the right situation. Um, as we wind down here, Mr. Marceau, do you want to get your thoughts on Raw for Monday quickly? Did it feel like the uh, statement was sent, as was reported before Raw? Was it this uh, game-changing show as far as, I mean, we didn't get debuts or anything like that, or title changes, but it really did feel like a new show. We talked about it after the fact, but it was an enjoyable three hours, and I thought the renewed focus in the women's division was great, on the United States Championship was great, Ali was brought back in one of those three ways, which was really cool. The finish for that first triple threat was phenomenal, no pun intended, when AJ won. Um, Ciampa winning two matches was really cool. He had some. He had a great night. And, um, yeah, I just really enjoyed the show personally. Even the main event was well-wrestled between the Usos and the uh, the Usos and the Mysterios. So I, I really liked the show, but I want to get your two cents. No, I thought it was a great show. Like you said, I think it, the three hours, like, it was the longest I've ever stayed up watching Raw. I fell asleep just, like, out of tiredness, like, right at the end of the show, so I had to rewatch, I had to watch the Usos and Mysterios the next day, but, like, I was up to, like, 10.30, 10.45 watching the show, and I thought it breezed by, like, I didn't know it was, like, oh, the show's dragging or anything like that. I thought the triple threats were all good. All the other matches they had were good. Rollins and Montez was fun. I mean, I just thought it was a good overall show. Champa having a coming out party was great. I mean, it felt like a new show, but it also felt, like, refreshing, and it wasn't, like, we didn't see, like, Omos or... The 24-7 bullshit or any comedy crap. Like, they did keep it pretty serious, and I thought it was just a very enjoyable show. Do you think they can sustain that going forward, or was it a one-hit wonder and the show will be back to the status quo? I mean, not as bad as it was, but it'll just be mediocre going forward. Or do you think they can sustain it? I think it's sustainable. I mean, it just depends on what the next couple moves are. I mean... Realistically, that's what it really comes down to what the next moves are and what feuds they set up next, but... I mean, I, I thought it was a good show, and if they just continue off that, I think they can keep the momentum going. I think my big thing, and I said this about Dynamite last night, and the same thing goes for Raw and SmackDown as well, we need more compelling stories. We got some great action on Monday. I thought the wrestling on Monday's Raw was phenomenal. You know, some great wrestling last night on Dynamite. I need more stories that will entice me to tune in from week to week. We have some on Dynamite. Raw is kind of in reset mode right now. Um, like the Edge and Judgment Day stuff makes sense. Is it really keeping me engaged? Not really, because Judgment Day are a bunch of losers at this point. Um, the women's stuff that they kicked off at SummerSlam and continued on Raw was great. Um, you know, like another story, for example, I mentioned it earlier, Ciampa. 
you know, becoming the new number one contender to the United States Championship next week on Raw. They're doing it next week. They're not waiting until Clash. Is it a quick squash and it's a one and done, or is there more to it? Ciampa loses. Miz turns on Ciampa out of jealousy. And maybe we see uh, Gianni Gargano make a return in Cleveland. I want to get your two cents on that idea. No, I mean, I, I think there's a better chance Ciampa, or Miz turns on Ciampa, and we get that feud right away, and then, then Ciampa winning here. I mean, the Miz is his protege. Like, he is technically, in quotations, Miz's protege. He, like, helped the Miz, and then once he hit, like, it's just like the jealous, like, person. It's like, they they both had their match. Miz lost Ciampa win. He's, like, in Ciampa's ear, and then he's going to, like, trip Ciampa up or, like, somehow screw him and Bobby will beat him, and then we'll, we'll, we'll move on. But, um... I mean, I don't see Bobby beating him clean at all. No, I, oh, Bobby beating him clean or Ciampa beating him clean? Bobby beating him clean. Yeah, no, I'm glad. I, I like the fact that they're going to protect Ciampa. I hope this is uh, a sign of bigger and better things for him. I was optim. I mean, I was, uh, I was, uh, you know, trying to be realistic and that they might not do much with Ciampa. His fortune might be sealed, but thank or his fate might be sealed. And thankfully, it wasn't. And they can turn things around with him. The thing with Ciampa is that he's only been on the main roster for a few months. He's not like bottom of the barrel, like complete fucking, like, Dijakovic, for example, has been in the main roster for two years. He might be done. I'm not sure if they can switch him back into Dijakovic and make him meaningful. I think you can. Will they? I, I don't know. Um, but Ciampa's still a fresh face on Raw to where they could turn things around before it's too late. And I hope they do something interesting with him next week on Raw. So, yeah, I, I liked Raw on Monday. I thought it was a good show, and I really enjoyed the, uh, you know, renewed focus on the U.S. Championship. Like I said, can it be sustained? I think so. But not every show is going to be this great wrestling show, dude. Like I said, you need more storylines, which was my issue with Dynamite last night. I thought it was a fine show, but I just got this vibe coming out of it. They were just kind of in placeholder mode right now. And this is with a company that has a fucking pay-per-view every month at this point. They had Double or Nothing two and a half months ago. Then they had Forbidden Door. And then they had Ring of Honor's Death Before Dishonor a few weeks ago. Now we have Battle of the Belts 3 coming up on Saturday. Then All Out in a month. I mean, they have shows almost every other. Quake at the Lake and Fight for the Fallen. Holy shit. I mean, if everything's special, how special really is it? But it goes back to what I was saying earlier. The lack of real compelling storylines, just in a, in a nutshell for Dynamite last night. You know, I like, I really like what they're doing with Jungle Boy and Christian. I think what they've been doing with them is great. Um, the Undisputed Elite stuff, I think they're progressing that nicely. Them turning on, Cole turning on the Bucks last night, I really liked actually in retrospect. Given the history there, Paige making the save, where does Omega fit in? I like that. But there really isn't a lot else that I'm really hooked on right now in AEW. MJF, we're kind of waiting to come back. Danielson and Garcia are doing something yeah, cool. Um, you know, it makes sense. I just I, I can't say I'm overly excited about it, but it's it's fine. Um, Eddie Kingston and Sammy Guevara, don't really care. Jericho and Moxley, I don't really care about Jericho at this point. Anything with JAS is awful. Anna JAS or whatever the fuck she called herself, terrible. Um, just you know, lethal and Wardlow on Saturday, cool. Make Wardlow more of a priority. So I want to get your two cents. I know that was a lot, really a lot of rambling nonsense, but just want to get your vibe on what AEW, what kind of vibe is AEW giving you right now? In light of all the WWE stuff going on with Triple H. Yeah, I mean, I, I like you said, I think I need more to get compelled. I mean, need more FTR. I need more Wardlow. I need MGF to come out of the hole that he's sleeping in. I mean, the whole Jay Lethal best friend stuff. I mean, I could give two shits. Um, the Jericho stuff, anything with the appreciators as well is just not good at all. Um, I was kind of hoping they'd kind of push Ricky Starks and Hobbs. Obviously, they turned each other, them on each other, so we'll see what happens there. Sammy and Eddie Kingston, don't really care. Um, I mean, Jer- like I said, at this point with Jericho, I'm kind of just over him. 
I mean, Brian was good, and then I was facing fucking Danny Garcia, but I just, I, I just don't think anything of. I mean, why couldn't you put like Powerhouse Hobbs or Wardlow in that position to tap out Daniel Bryan? Not just, not just Danny Garcia, but yeah, I mean, I, I think they need a little bit more to keep the casual fan into it. I mean, I kind of breezed through Dynamite last night. It wasn't anything over the top that like I cared for. I mean, like I said, there was some decent stuff, but. I don't know, like, with Punk being out and MGF being gone and, and Brian being gone and for that little interim, yeah, he's bad, but I feel like the show did kind of fall a little bit, like, because their three biggest stars were out and they really haven't built anyone else up. Like, Wardlow was getting a push and then he was never on the show and he's still not on the show. So we're going to get him and Lethal at Battle of the Belt. Okay, he's going to beat Lethal, then what? Like, it just seems like there's no direction with him. I mean, I complain they brought all these WWE guys in, but they also haven't done a lot with any of them. Like, Andrade hasn't done shit. Malachi Black, I couldn't tell you the last time I saw him. Like, Darby's lost a lot lately. Miro came back, and we haven't seen him. Pack won a belt that he's never on TV with. I mean, FTR's been the number one contenders for, like, six months. They haven't got a title shot yet. They're barely ever on the show. Like, they, they need to, like, if you're going to bring all these people in, you got to utilize them. you got to tell the best friends to go back to PWG. I mean, no one gives a fuck. Yeah, they just, I said this last night, but they have too many people than they, and when I say they, I mean Tony Khan. He has too many people than he knows what's to, what's to do with it at this point. I mean, we saw Claudio last night, cool. They're just bringing in more people, and they've let some people go, yeah, but not enough to where, they, I mean, unless they really establish another show, which I really don't care to see, or, you know, I, I the brand split stuff I know you're not a fan of, but I don't know, they need to figure something else out, because... I feel like we see a lot of the same faces on the... I mean, Jericho getting as much TV time as he does in, in 2022, in, in AEW anyway. I mean, uh, Cody Rhodes was one of the worst parts of AEW before he left, and now we're at a point where he's just... He's the best part in WWE when he was around before he before he got injured. Uh, maybe Jericho could do the same thing in WWE, and it's not like, oh, you're better in WWE, or oh, you're better in AEW. A change of scenery really goes a long way. And, um, yeah, I don't know, man. It's just, they're in a weird spot right now. There's not a lot going into All Out that I'm overly excited for, and it really does feel like we're in a placeholder program right now and, and a placeholder spot with John Moxley being the interim champion. So hopefully that changes once Punk comes back and Omega's back at some point, and maybe things can get going again. But it's a stark contrast compared to where we were even a year ago when they brought in all that talent. And now some of the talent that was already there, they don't really know what to do with. I am glad we're getting a Ricky Starks-Hobbs program, though. Team Taz died last night, Team uh, Taz said. And, uh, I mean, I'm excited for Ricky Starks and Hobbs. I think they can have a really good feud. But just on a quick side note, what a fucking waste of talent that group was as far as what they did or rather did not do with that group for as long as they were together. Well, yeah, I mean, realistically, all three of them are wasted. The stupid FTW belt is just it was ridiculous to begin with. But, I mean, yeah, it's nice to see them... Here's the thing. It's like, yeah, it's gonna be a nice. It's gonna be a good program. But you know, probably one of the better wrestle like feuds. But then one of them has to lose. They both need wins. Yeah. I mean, I like Ricky Starks. I really like Powerhouse Hobbs. I mean, they both need a win. One of them's gonna lose, and then then what do you do with them? I just feel like specifically in their situation, they especially with the group itself, like they were never a priority. They broke them up. They're gonna feud, and then then what? It's not like they're gonna shoot them off the card. I mean, I feel like if this is a feud, and then they're gonna go right to dark. So. It's going to be nice to see them work, but I just don't see like a long-term plan with either guy. That's my fear. I don't want to be pessimistic, but beyond this feud, what do you do with both guys beyond that? Is Wardlow, or rather, is Hobbs in the you know TNT title picture? Is Stark in the TNT title picture? Time will tell. And you know, Triple H taking over creative for WWE, not to like root this flag or root that flag. I'm excited. I mean, I think it really is going to force AEW to now step up their game like WWE 
should have when AEW was raising their game. And I mean, Vince didn't really give a fuck, but, um, and he should have because the shows were awful. And hopefully now they improve and Tony Khan gets a real run for his money as far as talent goes. So I'm looking forward to seeing what, what happens going forward, Mr. Marceau. We'll talk more about it next week here on the show and reviewing Raw and Dynamite and everything else. Thankfully, no pay-per-views for another month. Thank God. Um, I was at Death Before Dishonor the weekend before we were at SummerSlam and the week before that. I don't, I don't know if there was anything, but it feels like there's shows every week. So as far as the major companies, nothing until All Out Weekend. I know you said you got a wedding to go to that weekend, but we got All Out that weekend and Clash of the Castle. That, so that will be a busy one as far as uh, coverage goes. But I look forward to it, Mr. Marceau. Thank you as always. Great time in Nashville. And I look forward to the next time I can chat with you, brother. All right. Sounds good, Jason. Adios, Mr. Marceau. Take care. Later.